Amen. Well, good morning again. Correction, my wife's doing mom life in December. I don't know who's doing November, but I'm sure it's just as good. Well, good morning again, church. Glad you're here today in the house of the Lord with us. I want to uh, continue our series about the scriptures and what God's word is. And um, in the scriptures, we're reminded of the Lord in communion. It's my prayer that we as the covenant people of God will not only be reminded, but also have a deeper understanding of what Paul means when he writes to the church in Corinth that I deliver to you of what is first importance. Paul, I believe, within the church in Corinth, if you look at the book of 1 Corinthians, which they're doing Sunday mornings, that all the issues of the church will be traced back to this one thing, that they have forgotten What is of first importance? Of what is of first importance? That can be same, the same thing can be said for you and I in our issues of life. Maybe we forget the basics. We we, got to go back to the very fundamentals, the foundations to get ourselves back on track. I believe that is exactly what Paul means when he tells about what is of first importance. So I'd ask you, you would stand with me one last time. And open your Bibles, or it'll be on the screen, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 9. Let me pray, and we'll read God's Word. Well, Father God, again, we come to you, and we beg for the help of the Holy Spirit to give us understanding and insight into your Word. That you would speak, O Lord. That you would take your Word and plant it deepen us, that you would cause it to grow, that we would understand just a little bit more the mystery of Christ, that we would understand and know the hope that is ours, the foundation on which we base our very life, Lord God, that in hearing of your word today, we would again find hope, that we would find freedom that we would know that indeed you are the living God. Amen. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is God's word. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all as to one untimely born. He also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than all the others, worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and you believed. I know I went further. Apologize for that. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we look at our text this morning, we're going to see three things. 
three things, I believe. We'll see that the gospel was preached, the gospel was explained, and the gospel was confirmed. The gospel was preached, the gospel was explained, and the gospel was confirmed. The gospel preached. Listen to what Paul says. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, in which you are, in which you are, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He says, I would remind you, remind. Gornizo is the Greek word. Make known. I would certify to you. Paul is using the word, Paul using the word remind is making known to them the very truth that he began his letter with. In 1 Corinthians 2, 2, he says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The gospel of which he preached was that of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, if you remember, that he said, uh, if I, an angel, were to come and preach to you a gospel other than what I first preached to you. So if I come back on my next trip and I tell you something different than what I first told you, or an angel from heaven were to come down and tell you something contrary to what I first said, may they be anathema. That's the worst thing. Eternally cut off in the outer darkness, in the pits of hell forever and ever. Paul is so serious about the gospel. He says it is everything. So perfect is the truth of the gospel that it is not to be added to or taken away from. The gospel stands on its own as the only power of God unto salvation. And we see here in the first verses, the first two verses of 1 Corinthians 15, the order to which he gave the gospel of salvation, the man. Paul says it was preached. It was preached. The gospel was verbally proclaimed. Somebody told somebody else about the gospel. The scriptures tells us in Romans chapter 10, a verse we should know well, that faith comes by hearing and hearing is by the word of God. You can't understand the things of God. You can't know about God unless somebody tells you about the work of God through Jesus Christ. He says if it's preached and if for people would receive the gospel, receive it, take, say, yeah, okay, I understand that, I agree. That again is the work of God. It was received by those who responded to the gospel. The fact is, everyone responds to the gospel. Everyone responds to the gospel. They either come to their senses and they feel the weight of the wrath of God and find freedom in the mercy and the lordship of God, or they reject it. And they will feel the weight of the judgment of God in the life to come. God forbid, that's the worst thing that could happen to anybody. He says it was preached, it was received, and to those who received it, and I would ask you, have you received the gospel of Jesus Christ? You understand that Christ died in accordance with the scriptures? That Christ rose from the dead in accordance with the scriptures so that you would have eternal life? That you would be set free from the slavery that you're bound in through sin? 
He says, if you've accepted that, if you've received that, it is the gospel which is able to make you stand, he says, in which you stand. The gospel is an anchor for the soul, which is able to cause us to stand in the present day. Though many trials would come because of the gospel of of Jesus Christ, because of the truth of the gospel, it's an anchor for our soul. It's what gives you clarity of thought and mind. Helps you to discern the good from the bad. Causes you to plant your feet and say, this is my red line. I am unmovable from here. No matter what happens to me, take my life, torture me, whatever, it doesn't matter. I will not go past this line. I stand firm in the belief of the gospel. Matter of fact, he uses the word, the gospel is able to save you. The gospel saves, the good news saves, and it is what is able to hold somebody fast. Hold fast means to continue to believe and practice. See, there has to be something more than somebody just telling us something and we believe it and then it doesn't do anything for us. There has to be a fundamental change of mind. There has to be a transformation. There has to be something that will cause one who hears the gospel to become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, to live in a different way, And by that we mean to have their mind renewed, to think in a different way. Paul says to the Corinthian church, it is this gospel which was preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, in which you are being saved, and to which you hold fast if you truly believe the gospel. But he adds this caution. Unless you believed in vain unless you believed in vain. The word in vain is E-K. Without plan or purpose. Exactly the opposite of the Greek word Nike. Nike. Nike means victory. If you have no plan or no purpose, there is no victory. It's without victory. Without plan or purpose. Do you have a plan or purpose for your salvation? Do you realize that God saved you for a purpose? What do you do with salvation? I've heard the gospel. It's been preached to me. I believe it. What do I do? Remember what they said to Peter at the sermon at Pentecost. He preached. He told them the gospel of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they said, what shall we do? There has to be something more. We have to do something with this. They did not believe in vain. There was a purpose. Peter said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized for the remission of sins and you will be saved. But we know that it's more than just believing about Jesus. Yes, he was a real historical figure. Yes, he was a good moral teacher. Whatever you want to know, we have to believe that he is the sovereign God of the universe who stands in my place of judgment, stands in my place for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Believing in the gospel with purpose 
means that there is a fundamental change of mind and of heart that causes a person to walk in a different direction, to live for a different purpose. You know, God has a purpose in salvation. God doesn't save in vain. God is very purposeful in all that He does. Look what it says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 7 to 10. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ. What is the purpose? As a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. To be united with Christ under the Lordship of Christ. Are you under the Lordship of Christ today? Paul says that the gospel was preached to you. Then he goes on to explain what the gospel is. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? What are the core elements of the gospel? What is the foundation of what we believe? What is the good news of Jesus Christ? And so we see the gospel explained. The gospel is explained. Look at verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures. When Paul is explaining the gospel, Paul says it is fundamental. It is of the most importance. It is of first importance. First importance. Protos, right? Protos, pro, first. Number one, literally means first. In other words, it's foundational. That Jesus Christ died according to the Scriptures rose according to the Scriptures, is foundational. It's concrete for us. What did Jesus say about His Word? About the foundation of which we are as Christians to build our life. And Jesus says, Anyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Foundational. Foundational to our faith is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Take any of those out, any of those two out, we have nothing. We're stupid people. We're idiots to be sitting here today believing in a fairy tale. Right? It would be far better if Christ did not die and Christ did not raise from the dead. It would be far smarter to eat, drink, and be merry. But Christ did die. And Christ did rise from the dead. And therefore, what we do here matters. What we do on this side of heaven matters. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures. Twice it's said. Twice. He emphasizes the fact that according to what the Bible says, Christ came, Christ died, 
and Christ rose again, according to the Scriptures. Graphe, simply what it means, it means the writings or the Scriptures. Remember last week we defined what the Scriptures were. What are the Scriptures? What is this book for us? It is the deposit of writings received as divinely authoritative for the covenant community. It's a book for God's people. It's a book for God's people. Is it a book that is used perhaps in universities and places? Yes. Can you learn history from it? This is the most accurate history book you will ever find. It's the most truthful book you will ever find. But it's primarily a book for God's people, for God's children, for those who heard, who received, who were saved, and who stand fast in the truth of the gospel. It is a book for us. Remember that it is a book. It is a single story book. From Genesis to Revelation, from beginning to end, it's a single story. And it's a single story that is made up of 66 different books from 35 different authors over a period of 1,500 years. There is no other book like this book. No other book like this book. Listen to what he says again. For I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received. What's he talking about there? He received from Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. He was taught these things. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Well, let's look to see if that's true. In accordance with the Scriptures? Let's take a little walk through the Scriptures to see, did Christ really die according to the Scriptures? Jesus, after he rose from the dead appeared to the disciples on the road to a town called Emmaus. And this is what he says to them. They were talking about the events, and they were talking about the death of Christ, and they didn't know he rose from the dead, and they thought all hope was lost, and they were sad. And Jesus, who didn't make himself known to them, says to them this. We don't know who these these disciples are. He says, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The things concerning himself. Jesus says, all that was written is about me. It points to me. And we see this idea of a death, of a substitution in the very beginning of the Bible. In the the covering of Adam and Eve with animal skins in the garden. It's a foretelling of a substitution of one dying for someone else. Adam and Eve sinned. Adam sinned. Eve was deceived to be actually correct. Their relationship with God was broken. They were spiritually dead. They were now under the just wrath of God. And they needed a way out. And they could not provide in and of themselves a way out unless the Lord stepped in. And God in His mercy stepped into the garden and says, Adam, where are you? He didn't say, Adam, where are you? I'm here to get you. He said, Adam, where are you? And then he 
took skins from an animal, it says, in Genesis 3.21, and the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. It was a picture. They were naked. They didn't know it till they sinned, and then they knew it. They need their shame to be covered up, and God took the life of an animal, the first death in Scripture, and covered their shame. A picture of what was to come in Jesus Christ for you and I. We also see the idea of substitution in Abraham. There's many, many more in Scripture, by the way, of Abraham. When God said to Abraham, to test Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and go to the Mount Moriah, and there I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son, to me. And you know the story as they go along. They're, they're making a three-day journey. Interesting right there. A three-day journey. And Isaac asked, hey, hey, Dad, we got wood. We got the knife for the sacrifice. We got fire. Where's the lamb? Now, of course, Abraham knew all along who the sacrifice was. But Abraham says this. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them together. And what happened? We know the story. There's Abraham. I I can't understand it. But in faith bound his own son. Raised that knife. And God said, Abraham, stop. Abraham, there's a ram over there in the thicket. Use that. And the life of his son was spared. And God's promised seed continued. We see within the sacrificial system given to the Jews that it was clear that there was a substitution to be made for their sins. That unless someone else, some other creature, bore their sins, even figuratively, they would pay for their sins by themselves. It's the sacrificial system. In Leviticus 17.11. And by the way, uh, just to take a note of Leviticus, not tonight, but next Sunday night, we're going to be continuing in Exodus. And I would encourage you, church, I should have done it last week when I said to come out all these Come out to evening service. It's the Lord's day. The Lord's day. In Exodus 17, 11, it says this, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. In other words, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Life has to be given in order to satisfy God's justice. Our sins can only be paid by blood. Whether we like that or not, that's what God said. And all of us will stand before God one day and give account of his own life before God. Loved ones, I hope you never try to stand on your own merits. Well, I was a good boy or girl. Well, I did this, and I, you know, I gave to this, and I did that, and I tried really hard, and I, it's not going to work. Unless it's I accept the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ on my behalf, you are doomed. Flee the wrath of God. How? By running to God. 
by running to his son, Jesus Christ. The sacrificial system points to the future substitution of the Lamb of God. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 9, 11 and 14. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And so we see from Genesis all the way through, Christ died in accordance with the scriptures. How about the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ in accordance with the scripture? Look at what verse 4 says. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. In the garden, where Adam and Eve, where Adam sinned against God, the serpent was there to, to tempt Eve to cause Adam to sin and uh, God speaking to the serpent in the garden church you know where I'm going says to the serpent who is the devil that he was going to send a serpent crusher that he was going to send a serpent crusher but this serpent was going to do some damage Genesis 3:15 when I believe one of the absolute most important verses in all of Scripture. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We know because we have the completed Scriptures. We have the full canon that when he talks about bruising the heel of the one who will crush the head of the serpent, he's speaking about the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Way back in the garden, the resurrection of Christ was pointed to. Isaiah 53, the great prophet Isaiah tells of the Lord crushing his servant, yet prolonging his life. Isaiah 53:10. yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The psalmist, speaking of the death of Christ and his resurrection, writes this in Psalm 16:10. For you, know, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, that is the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. In other words, I'm not going to die. I'm going to go in the grave but I'm going to rise again. Jesus speaking to, the, speaking to the crowd. When they ask for a sign, he says, there's going to be no sign given to you. There's only one sign. Actually, one sign will be given to you. It's that of the prophet Jonah. As he was in the belly of a fish for three days, so shall the Son of Man be in the ground for three days. But he answered, Matthew 12, 39 to 40, but he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart 
of the earth. You know, it's so important when we look at Jesus Christ, when we understand that the old points to Jesus and the new points tells us about Jesus, that as we look at the Old Testament and we see the story of Jonah being swallowed by a great fish, what does that mean for three days? Well, Jesus explained it to us, but there's other places which we need to look at and say, you know what, this is pointing to something. There's a type and an anti-type. That scripture goes from the lesser to the greater. We see that in accordance with the scripture. The lesser was given in the old. The greater has come in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul then goes on to say that the gospel was confirmed. The gospel was confirmed. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this point. Verses 5 to 8 of 1 Corinthians 15. And then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. In other words, Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't just rise and go to heaven. He made it known that he was risen from the dead. He appeared to Peter first. How gracious of God to appear to Peter. Well, he appeared to the women at the grave first. But what did he say? Go and tell Peter, because i got to restore Peter. And he went and he saw, the Bible says here, 500 people at one time and many others. Have we seen the resurrected Christ? No, I haven't. Have you? Not, not physically I have not. One day my eyes will. One day your eyes will if you're in Christ Jesus. But Christ has made himself known to you and to me. See, the fact is, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is historically verifiable. Historically verifiable. People, this morning in Sunday school, Mike was teaching in Corinthians about how to the world, that's foolish. A man rose from the dead? Really? That's impossible. That's stupid. You're an idiot to believe that. No, it's historically verifiable. Jesus is true. Why do you think people hate him so much? Why do you think of all the wars and the things that have happened over one man, Jesus Christ, if he's just a hoax, if he's not true? Why would people go to a horrible death in believing something that is fake? That's a really stupid person. We're convinced We believe. Peter and John writes in their epistles, that which we have seen, that which we have heard, that which we have touched, we know this to be true, this we declare to you. And loved ones, we know this to be true, not in the same way, but we've heard. We've heard, and God's Spirit has made the truth be planted in our heart, come alive to us, and we can declare just as as authoritatively as Peter and John that Jesus Christ is died and rose in accordance with the Scriptures. And He is the only name available to men by which they may be saved. By no other means can men be saved. None other. If you want to know more about that, I would recommend two books to you. If you want to be, uh, look into it, and I would encourage you to look into it. Don't just take my word for it. Find out for yourself. The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. You know the book, probably seen the movie. 
There's another book called The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus by Gary Habermas, who, a great philosopher, actually, and Michael Laconia, Lycona. I would recommend those two books to you. That's where we're going to leave it. It's historically verifiable. I want to go back to the idea of purpose or plan. The idea of purpose or plan. Remember Paul said, unless you believed in vain, in vain, without purpose, without plan. The question we should ask ourselves today, am I building my own life? Am I building my own little kingdom? And if we're building our own little kingdom, let's be honest, we have purpose in it. I want to have X amount of dollars when I retire. I want to invest this much and all those things, right? We have a purpose. If we're smart, we have a purpose. We have a plan. How much more important is it to have a purpose and a plan for your eternal life? Because your bank account's not going with you. Bank of America is going to be in the grave. America will be in the grave. And the church will be standing at the grave of America. That's just the fact. All the institutions of the world, all the kingdoms of the world, they've all come and gone so far. But the church has stood. The church has stood. And the church will stand. Am I submitting myself to the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I putting myself under the burden of Scripture so as to please my Savior? The psalmist tells us in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders build in vain, without purpose. I've been in construction for a long, long time. I can tell you right now, you cannot build something without purpose. You can't wing it. Aren't you glad they didn't just wing the house you live in? Though some of you may go, oh, you ought to see the house I live in. Um, There's purpose. There's purpose. Unless the Lord builds the house, you're building in vain. Is the Lord building your house today? God has a purpose for you. He didn't save you just to save you. He has a work for you, which has eternal reward. And He wants you to walk in that in which He has purpose for you. Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before Him that we should walk in them. Are you still trying to find purpose? Are you not sure what God wants for you? By that, I don't necessarily mean what what job does God want me to have? Who does God want me to marry? Does God want me to marry? Those things are important. Absolutely. And God will direct us in those things too. Direct you and I in those things. But before those questions can be answered, before we can have clarity in those things, we must know our destination. We must have a purpose. I must know where I'm going. How am I going to get to this point? I've been saved Through Jesus Christ, his substitutionary death on my behalf, I've been saved, I'm going to heaven, now what do I do? There has to be a plan. There has to be a way forward, which God lays out in the scriptures. Thanks God. Thank God for that. We must know what it is saved for, and it is heaven. 
It is not to, it's not, is it not to stand in the glory of Christ forever and ever? Listen to what Peter writes to us in 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. In other words, have a plan. Have a plan. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, loved ones, the secret to having peace and purpose in this world, as turbulent and as hard as it is, and as heart-wrenching as at times it may be, we can have peace and we can have purpose if we set our minds on the truth and live off the foundation, build our life on the foundational truth that Jesus Christ, in accordance with the Scriptures, died, and in accordance with the Scripture, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It is that fundamental truth. Above all, if you know nothing else about Scripture, you know nothing else, you don't know any of the deep theological words and all those things. Boy, if you understand that Jesus Christ died and rose for you in accordance with the Scriptures, you have it all. That's all that the thief on the cross had. And I'm not even sure he had a full understanding of that. But it's all that's needed. It's, it's more than we need. And he gives us so much more. It is what gives us in this world a peace that passes understanding. We need to have our minds preoccupied with one thing, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Paul, in writing to the church in Corinth, says this in 1 Corinthians 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. By extension, His resurrection. That's all I cared about. That's all I ministered to. Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, writes this, But whatever I had gained, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, well, that is so important. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Are you looking for purpose today? Are you looking for peace today? Do you feel awash in a world of choices Heed the advice of Jesus. Are you feeling overwhelmed by sin? Are you feeling overwhelmed by your own guilt? Look to the cross and the empty tomb. Go back to the foundational things. Those things which are of first importance. Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. It's going to go back to the fundamentals, loved ones. That's what's going to cause us to stand in a world where they will come against us for what we believe. If we don't believe fully in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf, when persecution comes, and the Bible says it will come, 
we'll fold. We'll prove ourselves to not be the disciples of Christ. We'll prove ourselves to be the enemies of Christ. But the one who stands into the end, the one who endures to the end, to him I will give the crown of life. Are we seeking first the kingdom of God? Building it upon the truth that Jesus Christ died and rose according to the scriptures. Jesus said it's a matter of priorities. That it is, it is his kingdom first and then everything else. As the scriptures would tell us, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all unto the glory of God. As we live our life here in this world, and God has given us a life to live, our jobs, our homes, and all those are not taking those things away. We're just reshaping how we view those things. Do I view my marriage as something precious from God? Do I view my children? Even if we've messed up in those areas, God can bring it back. Do I view my job as something precious from God? That I'm going to work for a different purpose. It's not going to be the paycheck at the end of the week or every two weeks. It's going to be that Jesus Christ would be glorified in the way that I work. And if I get money for it, praise God, that's extra. It's how we fix our minds and shape our minds. Are we preoccupied? Are we standing firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ? And the fact that he died and he rose again. You know, as we come to the Lord's table, we're reminded of what Jesus did for us in the symbols of the bread representing his perfect life. The symbol of the cup representing his death on our behalf and remembering that we proclaim the Lord's return. May our hearts and our minds be fixed in the heavenly realms where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Where our very great reward lies. Because our very great reward is Jesus himself. Let's pray. Father, thank you that all that you said in your word has come about. And all that is still left to come about will come about. We ask, Lord God, that we would be found faithful. That we would not be those who shrink back, but stand on the rock-solid truth, the bedrock truth, that Christ died and rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. And that is our only hope in life and death. Father, may it be for us the anchor for our soul. May we never shrink back. May we declare this truth with joy to those around us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.